My dad and my mom, they always told me and my sister, tennis is great, but make sure you have something else to do and have a backup plan. You said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it on my own from scratch. Why not work with a partner or another, someone else? I really wanted it to be my vision. What I want to be remembered as, you know, it has to come from me. And I wanted to have a different experience for people, quite frankly, that look like me and to have someone create something for them. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and welcome to Inside Fashion. This week, we're going to take you to Los Angeles. Recently, the BOF team touched down in LA for our second annual BOF West Summit, and I was pleased to sit down with the one and only Serena Williams. Of course, Serena is well known as one of the best tennis players in history, but she's also been on her own entrepreneurial journey, as you may have read in our most recent special print edition called Modern Entrepreneurs. Well, I got to spend a bit more time with Serena on the BOF West stage. So here's our talk from BOF West with Serena Williams. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> so as I was just saying, um, Serena, today, you know, we're talking about entrepreneurship. Everybody knows you're a tennis champion, but few people know all of the other stuff that you're working on. So I'm just going to quickly lay it out for all of you. Um, and there's a variety of things around tech, fashion, and venture capital. So you're the founder and CEO of S by Serena, a fashion brand you've been working on basically your whole life. Um, you're the board member of Poshmark and SurveyMonkey. And just this past week, you unveiled that you are the president of Serena Ventures, a venture capital firm investing in women, people of color, and young entrepreneurs. And you have more than 30 investments. And you've been doing all of this since 2014. So I guess the first thing I want to ask is, why is all of this happening now? <laughs> and what, you know, why, are you, why are you talking about all of it now? Um, well, um, it's not all happening now. Um, as you said, I started the investing in different companies and, and diverse and women and people of color um, back in 2014. Um, but it wasn't the right time to talk about it. I wanted to make sure my portfolio was really good. So when I came out, I could come out with a bang. I mean, when I play tennis, I try to go out with a really strong, you know, bang. And so then I felt like I want our portfolio at Serena Ventures to be super strong and super powerful. Um, the S brand is different because as fashion, you need to have as much um, press and media and social and, you know, a lot of stuff behind you to really kind of push it and talk about it and put it in the public. So that's been a little different. We've been really promoting the collection, the S brand collection, literally all the time. Um, and it's been doing really incredibly amazing. And um, yeah, so that's, so we've kind of been talking about that. And so that's kind of all here, but it's really kind of organic how everything has been rolling out. I'm really excited for the brand. I'm excited for the fashion. I'm super excited for the investing. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be really good. The next few years are gonna be super important and exciting for me. Okay, so you're still actively playing tennis though. We were just talking backstage that your next matches are gonna be in Europe. But it, it does beg the question as if you're trying to plan for what happens when you're not necessarily playing tennis professionally anymore. Uh, how much of this is part of planning for that, that moment? I'm, I'm sure it'll be a difficult one when you decide, well, 
I'm not going to play tennis professionally. Anymore. I know that's. Let's not talk about that. You know, I love. <laughs> I love what I do. I love playing tennis. It's it's really exciting. Um, but. Yeah, I my my dad and my mom they always told me and my sister um, tennis is great, but make sure you have like something else to do and have a backup plan. And I've always done that, like you said, with the fashion. I've been doing that literally my whole life, um, and that's kind of the same thing. Like I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I've always had it, but now um, there is a little bit more push to like to have it to do better, to be more successful, because it is something that I'm really seriously going to do full time when the day comes, you know, in 20 or 30 years when I stop playing tennis. <laughs> okay. So moving on to S by Serena, and all of you um, will have seen a very extensive feature, a cover story that we did with Serena uh, for our latest print issue. But you know, there are a lot of other industries in the world that are a lot easier than fashion. You could have chosen any industry. Why fashion? It's such a hard business. It's an incredibly difficult business, and that's what people say, that fashion is hard. You don't really, it's really difficult to make money in fashion before the first 10 years, really, or five years. Um, I love a challenge, um, and it's not just about fashion. The thing is, um, with S, it's more about a lifestyle, and we are going to start rolling out a lot more things outside of fashion. Uh, it was important for us to start with fashion because fashion, with it, becomes tons of marketing, tons of opportunities to dress different people, and it's a great way for people to see your amazing logo. I see she's wearing one of our shirts here. Um, so it's good. So people can see exactly what you're about and exactly how you perform and how you want your brand to do. So then when we go to different things down the line, um, they can just kind of roll out after the fashion. So for us, it's a great place to start, but we're hoping when we roll out other things, it'll be a little bit more easy. But like I said, I love a challenge. Um, I think in life it's really important for things not to come super easy for you and to kind of accept that challenge, embrace it, and then just roll with it. Okay, so on that spirit of making things harder, you could have chosen to, to work with a partner, or you, know, you could have chosen to license your brand. You could have taken your, you had this collection with HSN at some point, yeah. but you chose the harder path again. You said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it on my own from scratch. Why not work with a partner or another, someone else? Um, okay, so that kind of goes into my mind of investing because I feel like uh, one day I was telling my, one of my, my best friend, I said, listen, you have to invest in yourself. And then I was like, I ran into a wall. I was like, wait, I need to do that. I'm giving her advice and I'm not taking my own advice. So I felt like it was a great opportunity to invest time, invest money, invest effort into myself. And that was the best thing that I could have done. And um, I always felt like I've partnered up with amazing people and amazing partners, but I really wanted it to be my vision, what I want, what I want to put out in the marketplace, what I want people to, what I want to be remembered as, you know, it has to come from me. And, and when you do it with other people, it gets um, diluted. And I didn't want my message, I didn't want the clothing, I didn't want anything to be diluted. So for me, it was really important to go out there and do it on my own. And then who knows in the future, if I do want to partner up with someone, I can, but I have my brand, I have what we want to do, and then we can go from there. And they can, they can follow along and we can always make it better, but at least they know that S is super and it's powerful. Okay. 
So when you were conceiving the idea for S, was there another brand or is there, you know, is there another designer or someone in the industry that you, know, you look up to and you say, well, I want to I do it that way? Like, I mean, tell me about maybe some of the inspiration you took from what you've seen in terms of business model or strategy or aesthetic. You know, what, what was it that you were looking to create? So I was really looking to create a modern collection that is delivered to your door. So we do not, are not in stores. We're strictly e-commerce. We wanted to create an e-commerce experience um, of getting the clothes. Um, and so I actually looked at companies like a Glossier. I looked at companies like a Casper. And I know it sounds weird. They're not in that category. But I liked a lot of their mottos. I liked a lot of things that they did. I liked how they were directly e-commerce. And they went from they deliver to your door. I wanted to have a different experience for people, quite frankly, that look like me, and to have someone create something for them. And so for me, um, I really, it, that really spoke to me. And I was looking at, as I invest in different people and different companies, I was looking at, okay, so there's nothing really out there on the market that can deliver what I want to do, especially when we roll out a lot of the other things. Um, but I want to start this and I want to do this and I'm really excited about it. So for me, that's kind of how it started. Right. So just before um, you, you joined us on stage, we had a bunch of direct-to-consumer brands up here. We had Allbirds, we had Hims and Hers, we had Good American. You know, and the power of, of these businesses, they build a direct relationship with their consumer. I mean, you, in a way, had a head start. You know, those businesses, some of them have to pay a lot of money to acquire an audience and build a following. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you've been thinking about leveraging that relationship with your fan base? I mean, we can see there's tons of people here today, you know, decked out in their S by Serena um, clothes. But like, what, what were you trying to do specifically in terms of building that direct-to-consumer relationship? Well, it's interesting because I have a, an enormous fan base, which is we were learning about is, is crazy, and I'm so appreciative of my fans. But then with us, we had to kind of reach beyond that and get people that were just consumers and would just actually get the product and say, oh my god, this is amazing. How do we get those customers? Um, and so that has been the most challenging and exciting part is really reaching beyond um, people that know me and just get to know the brand. Um, so so yeah, I have this platform, but at the same time, um, I'm also like, okay, people expect one thing, but I'm delivering other product and really wearable things with unbelievable qualities, and you know, it's it's not actually athletic wear, but it's things that you can wear for everyday life. So we have to kind of change our our fan base and to get from fans, turn them from fans into customers. And it's not as easy as it sounds, but I've been enjoying it. One of the challenges when you have such a, a loyal and kind of authentic relationship to your fans, yeah. when you try to start selling them stuff, that can backfire on people sometimes, yeah. right? So how do, uh, you, yeah. how do you maintain that balance where they're not, you're not forcing stuff on people? That's a good word, because we don't force. We don't send our, when you get on our email list, we don't send you an email every day or even sometimes not even every week. We don't want it to be a forced item. It's something that we do gradually. And you, know, you get emails when we have new product that come out, or we have things that we're excited about. Or when we have sales, that's when you get our product. Um, you know, and we're just, we're, we're, 
we're testing everything, we're beta testing everything to see what works and what not. And it's funny that you say that. We don't want to push things on people. We want people to come and get the product because they like it and they enjoy it. And then it kind of goes word of mouth. But a lot of these brands that you were talking about, especially these D2C brands, are um, really word of mouth companies and they just grow um, organically. And for me, it's really about being authentic. And I feel like that's who I am as a person. I'm super authentic. I, you, you see what you see is what you get, and that's just always who I am. And so that's kind of what I want the brand and the conglomerate of S to be. It wants, we want it to be really authentic and just fun. And what is your S? So it's like, you know, it's really cool. The intersection between fashion and sports is a really interesting one. I mean, a lot of people think about fashion as it intersects with entertainment or fashion as it intersects with music, but there's a growing intersection between fashion and sports. And you're in this unique position in that you're an athlete, but you have this contract with Nike as well, which kind of puts some constraints around your business in terms of the product you could create. How did you navigate that? Well, you know, how do you leverage the sports thing yeah. without conflicting with the Nike thing? So um, <clears throat> I love Nike. They've been a great partner um, with me and they take feedback really, really well. And I actually learn a lot from them. Um, so I did not want that relationship to, to end. And so I, how do we work together to make it work? Because at the end of the day, I want to be able to do my own thing and be my own boss and you know, be my own ownership of, of my brand. So how do we make it work? Um, so. I ended up doing clothes, like I said, we don't do athletic wear. And a part of me is really happy because I feel like every company out there, it's, it's so oversaturated the market with athleisure. So I feel like, okay, this is great. We have our focus and it's not necessarily an athleisure because literally every company, every person, like it's, you can get athleisure from Amazon and I love Amazon by the way, so, um, but, it is, it's almost oversaturated. So what I first thought was going to be a challenge, like how do I get into a different space, was actually a blessing in disguise. Okay. Um, before we move on to uh, Serena Ventures, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about these other products and businesses that you've alluded to. It sounds like you have a master plan in your head. Can you lay out a little bit about what's coming next? Yeah, there's a master plan. Um, you know, you can't enter anything without having a plan, you know. So uh, so we started, like I said, we started in fashion and then we're going to go to beauty. We're going to, I would love to do baby. Okay. We're going to do baby because, like, I'm obsessed with my baby and um, I just, like, want to match everything. Like, we, it's almost, I wonder if she's in our, she can't really talk yet, but I wonder if she's thinking, my mom is crazy because I do not want to wear what she's wearing. <laughs> um, but if you go on my Instagram, like, I always have matching outfits. It's a little bit much. Um, but anyway, so then we're going to do baby. You know, we have jewelry coming out actually pretty soon. Um, I don't know, then then that's when you start to play with licensing at that point and do like sunglasses, et cetera. So when I say it's a lifestyle brand, it really is. It's like, it's a lifestyle and it's just all these different branches of different things that we would, uh, we continue to do. Okay. So let's talk about the venture capital fund. Uh, as you said, it's been going since 2014. I was 
uh, browsing your site today. It's quite an impressive portfolio, 30 companies yeah. um, focused on women, people of color, and entrepreneurs. Bef Talk to us about that angle. You know, every investment company, every venture company, they have an angle. They say, this is what we're looking for. Yeah. That's a very unique angle in this venture context. It is. Um, so I kind of started because I realized that a lot of people that are starting companies aren't getting funded. A lot of people of color and a lot of women are just not getting funded. So what can I do? Like, okay, this is ridiculous. When I first started, it was less than 2%. And in terms of people of color, it's point two. So less than two percent of money when I first started, raised were when you going started. to women and pe and people of color. Wow. And if you just okay. narrow it down to people of color, it was point two. So it's basically all going to white men, Asian men as well, but and white Asian men, men, yes. Okay. Um, and so that was a problem. I'm like, okay, well, I know I've had great ideas. You know, I think I'm. I think I've had good ideas. Um, I know a lot of my friends have that have good ideas. I mean, the world is a, a melting pot of people. Like we, this has to be changed. Um, so that's kind of how it started, and um, and it's. And if you look at our portfolio, it's super diverse. We invest in white men as well, because okay. you know I'm actually married to a white man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it's all about having diversity and just enjoying every single pot, you know, and just, you just can't pick from one pot. It's just mixing that all together. And that's really important for me. Um, and that's something I also want to teach my daughter and teach people that you just, it's just better. You get better ideas. You get, it's just always better. So that's kind of how we started when we started this portfolio. And that's the direction we're still going in. But one thing I've learned is that, um, Unless the people writing the checks are making a change, then it's never going to be made. It's never going to make a change. So for me, it was really important to be the person doing the actual investing, the person actually writing the checks, because I'm actually going to look at a company that uh, a Latina female started. Maybe someone else, it, they might not naturally look at it because they just like, oh, you know, let me just look at this company. So I'm naturally going to look at that. So my idea now is to help the people that are writing the checks and, and have more women and more people of color actually write those checks so we can build that diversity even more. One of the um, stories in the, in the issue um, is, is about blind spots and about how traditional venture investors, they just don't see certain opportunities because it's so much outside their kind of context, the, the context that they know and understand. Yeah. Can you give us an example of like one or two of the companies that you invested in and what you saw in that company or that founder that convinced you that yes, you wanted to write them a check? Wow. Um, let me see if I can narrow it down. Um, off the top of my head, I just got to think of Lola. Yeah. They're a great female company for female hygiene products. They make tampons, etc. Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on, but I'll try not to. But I just get really pissed when I think about this pink tax. It's just ridiculous. It's um, it's this, it's it's a tax that they charge women for products that we need, but it's the the men don't get charged like for condoms, but we get charged for tampons. Um, so this company is amazing because they actually make a product for females that is healthy for your body, and it's it's that the 
those products actually aren't regulated, which is shocking to believe that if you have a daughter or a sister or a mom, they're using products that aren't regulated. They can put any kind of toxins in it and they, it doesn't matter. So for me, this company, Lola, Oh, it was so powerful to me what these women were trying to do because it wasn't even about a product and it wasn't about making money. It's about it was about help, helping people and health of people. And so that was just I get chills thinking about this this company and um, that's one product that I definitely didn't want to overlook. And a one way how we work is we introduce them like mate, we can't give them like a massive check, but we can introduce them to different huge companies and VC firms and make them, force them not to have that blind spot and force them to be able to see it. Um, and so, yeah, that's just one of over 32 com like, examples I could probably give. Okay. So Serena, uh, you know. Uh, I don't, I just have to give this other one. There's, okay, sure. It's, it's this company we invested in Africa, in Della. And I just really like that because a lot of people think of the country, the continent of Africa is like, you know, really, really, really third world, really b behind, but it's really not. And it's so exciting to see different companies that want to be able to grow this amazing place and make it better. Um, that also is one of my favorites too. Okay. Serena, when you and I sat down for that cover story, I, I talked to you a little bit about, you know, mental toughness. And there were some really powerful lessons that you shared from your career in te tennis. So I want, I want you to take us back in this entrepreneurial journey of building S by Sharina. What was the single most difficult moment and how did you overcome it? Um, we're still going through difficult moments because that's just a company. Um, but I would say the name. Okay. I was given advice from, and I'm top designers, and you know, because I love taking feedback. It's my job. I realized that my job is taking feedback my whole life. Um, playing tennis, I take feedback. Um, and so it, it started out as Serena Williams, and they're like, you have to name it your name. That's what we all do, but there's a reason why it's done. And I was like, okay, I have to do it this way. It just something kept telling me, you know what, this is just, I don't want to name it Serena Williams. Like, this is, I, it's not right, it's not right. So I just got rid of the Williams and I just had Serena. And then I was like, you know, everyone was like, no, you got to do Williams, you got to do Williams. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll do Serena. We'll meet some way in the middle. Um, and so then I was like, oh, you know what, that's, you know, I really don't want to do Serena either. You know, <laughs> I want this brand to live without me. I want this to be like a lifestyle company that you think of, like you think of like the, the Nikes of the world or these, you know, different companies, they, they don't rest on one person. So I'm like, mm, you know what, I just, this is just, you know, this just isn't right. And when you have people in your ear telling you, well, this has worked, this hasn't failed, and you know it's true. Like there's these, it works, it hasn't failed. Why am I not connecting with this? So that was really hard for me and for people on the team and the company to just get with just S. And I was like, listen, we gotta do this because we're not like everybody else. I don't wanna be like everyone else. I'm not like everyone else. Um, from everything that I've done in my career in tennis and everything that I've done in general, I, I just have to be different. And plus we were doing something that was direct to consumer, that was e-commerce, you know, it's 2019. Like, I got to think different. I got to think out of the box. So I was like, we're just going to call it S because then we got this really cool logo. And I feel like 
everyone has a S word that they can relate to and that they can kind of um, rely on. So for now, it's like S with by Serena really small, but you know, as you as the brand grows, it's just going to be just the S. Okay, that's that's interesting. What about um, balancing work and life? So you've you've done all of this while being a new mom, and I've read somewhere that you haven't spent a day apart from Olympia since she was born. And I thought it might be interesting to get your point of view on this kind of idea that women can have it all and they can have an amazing career and they can be an amazing parent and they can be an amazing partner. You know, what are your thoughts on that, about finding that balance and managing those trade-offs? Because that's, that's hard too. It's super hard. Um, I. For me, my, the most important thing in my life outside of God is my family and my baby. So um, I have to have my priorities. I'm really fortunate. Um, I can work at home. And um, or if I go to the office, like I have a little play area for Olympia. And, you know, I watch her like a hawk because, boy, she gets everywhere. Um, but it's, I, I, I feel that I'm really fortunate in that area. And then, like, I make my schedule, so I practice in the morning from, like, 9 to, nine to like, 12, I go to the court, come home, take a break, hang out with Olympia, and then when she naps, I do a lot of the work. But really, it's all about having a great team. I could not do this if I didn't have a good team. Um, it's hard to build a good team, though, especially, like, starting with the S brand. I had to start from scratch and build this, this team. Um, and we've... It, we've had some good times and we've had, you know, some great people. We've had some average people, but it's really, it's really just about really making tough decisions and, and making sure you have a great team on you or else I wouldn't be able to be with her every day because, yeah. Do you feel that, you know, you have a husband who's also a successful entrepreneur and investor. Do you feel the challenges for women and men when it comes to managing work-life balance are different? Absolutely. Um, I feel like his work-life balance is way different. And I'm like, are you going to come home for dinner tonight? And he's like, well, I'm at the office. Dinner's at 6 o'clock or you know, 6.30. I mean, come on, you know. Um, so I definitely have my priorities different, but he doesn't have that pressure. But I think as a mom, I just feel different. And, you know, he makes dinner usually every night, but... I have to make sure it's every single night. Um, but I like the pressure. And one of my favorite quotes, and you've probably heard me say it, um, is from Billie Jean King, pressure is a privilege. And I'm privileged and I'm happy that I have that pressure. That's a very healthy attitude. Um, there's another thing that I'm curious about as it pertains to Olympia, and I, you know, it's maybe not necessarily directly connected to entrepreneurship, but um, I've been reading about this doll, Quay Quay. Quay and Quay Quay has like a hundred and something thousand Instagram followers, but it's not just a doll. The New York Times said she is an Instagram user, a Twitter user, an animated representation of a doll superimposed onto digital photos, and an imagined gremlin-like character wreaking pretend havoc on the hypothetical lives of the Olympia Ohanian and her family. So first, can you clear up, who is Quay Quay? And what is Quay Quay? Quay Quay is her own self. Okay. She is Olympia's doll. 
I got her um, a long time ago, and I, you know, I gave her to Lynn, and it started organically. Like I would post all these um, stories on Instagram, and just Olympia uh, totally abusing this doll, and just walking around, <laughs> holding her leg and dragging her with her head. And so I would always say like, Quake, Quake, how do you feel? And so she kind of came to life after that. And it just was, she got her own following and it was it was crazy how it all, it all happened. And so now um, it's cool because, you know, growing up, I, I couldn't find dolls that looked like me. So I wanted Olympia's first doll to, to look like me. Um, and so that's kind of how this all started and then whenever my friends um, get pregnant or have a baby I always send them a baby Quake Way. And so, you know, it's cool. So it's, who's managing that Instagram account? Quake Way. Oh. <laughs> you didn't know that? I, I guess not. I mean, but you, you might have heard there's these virtual influencers. One of them is based here in Los Angeles named Lil Michaela. And uh, I think one of the founders is here. Not sure where she is, but you know, these virtual influencers can become a thing of their own. Is there something in the future for Quay Quay? Well, Quay Quay is definitely a virtual influencer. We've obviously heard of um, little Michaela. Uh, I thought she was real for quite some time. It's amazing. Um, but Quay Quay is her own self. I have to ask her if she wants to be a virtual influencer. I know she's injured right now, she has a cast on. Uh, Hopefully Olympia doesn't get reported, <laughs> but it's not her fault. <laughs> but yeah, she definitely has uh, a lot of reach and it's fun, it's just so fun. You know what I love most about it is like, you can, there's so much bad news in the world and just so much heavy news. And that's why I love Quakeway's account because you can just go and just laugh and just take a moment and almost take a break from the negativity and then get back to the real world. But it's, it's like a, just a refreshing break. And I think that's why everyone appreciates and, and likes her. All right. Well, on that note, um, Serena, thank you for your advice oh gosh, and for fast. sharing your thank stories. You. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might be interested in BOF Professional, our global membership community from the business of fashion. BOF Professional members receive unlimited access to all of our articles, daily members-only analysis, the BOF Professional iPhone app, biannual print issues, and all of our online education courses as part of your membership. For a limited time only, we are offering BOF Podcast listeners an exclusive discount on an annual BOF Professional membership. To get 25% off of your first year, click on the link in the episode notes, select the annual package, and enter the special invitation code PODCAST2019 at the checkout. We hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to tell your friends.